Chapter Six of Wolf the Saxon by George Alfred Henty. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Release of the Earl. In a few minutes, the three horses were brought out. Wulf and Beorn were much pleased with the animals that had been placed at their service. They were powerful horses, which could carry a knight in his full armour with ease, and seemed full of spirit and fire. They were handsomely caparisoned, and the lads felt as they sprang on their backs that they had never been so well mounted before. "'You would have made the journey more quickly and easily if you had these horses three days ago,' young de Burg laughed. "'Yes, indeed, there would have been no occasion to hide in the woods then. With our light weight on their backs they would have made nothing of the journey.' "'You must not expect to see a castle,' de Burg said presently, "'though I call it one.' In his early days the Duke set himself to destroy the great majority of castles throughout Normandy, for as you know he had no little trouble with his nobles, and held that while the strength of these fortresses disposes men to engage either in civil war or in private feuds with each other, they were of no avail against the enemies of the country. My father, who is just the age of the Duke, was his loyal follower from the first, and of his free will levelled his walls as did many other of the duke's friends in the first place because it gave the duke pleasure and in the second because had only the castles of those opposed to the duke been destroyed there would have been such jealousy and animosity on the part of their owners that matters would never have quieted down in the country thus it is that throughout the land you will find but few castles remaining the nobles felt it strange at first to be thus dwelling in houses undefended against attack, but they soon learned that it was far more convenient than to be shut up within massive walls, and the present dwellings are much larger and more comfortable than those of former days. The Duke said rightly that the abolition of fortresses well-nigh doubled his fighting power, for that so many men were required to garrison as to greatly diminish the number of their lords could take with them into the field. You do not have castles in England, do you? No, we live in open houses, and hold that it is far better and more pleasant to do so. There is no fighting between neighbours with us. The great earls may quarrel and lead their forces into the field, or may gather them against Danish and Norwegian pirates, but except on these occasions, which are rare, all dwell peaceably in their homes. The horses were fresh, and the five miles quickly passed over. "'There is the house,' de Burg said, pointing to a large building standing on an eminence. It was castellated in form, and much of the old building had been incorporated with the additions, but the outer wall had been pulled down and the moat filled up. Broad casements had replaced the narrow loopholes, and though the flag of the de Burg still waved over the keep, which stood a little apart from the rest, the family no longer dwelt in it. It is chiefly used as a storehouse now, Guy de Burg explained, but there, as you see, the old loopholes still remain, and in case of trouble it might be held for a time. But of that, however, there is little chance. The Duke's hand is a heavy one, and he has shown himself a great leader. He has raised Normandy well nigh level with France, and so long as he lives and reigns there is no fear of domestic trouble. The gate stood open, and they rode into a courtyard, when several men came out and took the horses. Guy de Burg ran up a broad staircase to the entrance of the house itself, and passed beneath the noble entrance 
with a lofty pointed arch supported by clustered pillars inside was a spacious hall paved with stone and from this de burg turned into an apartment whose walls were covered with rich hangings here a lady was at work embroidering surrounded by several of her maids similarly engaged a girl of some fourteen years old was reading a missal while the master of the castle was sitting in a chair with low arms and was playing with the ears of a hound whose head was lying on his knee well guy what is your news he asked as his son entered half an hour since i received a message from the duke desiring me to appear with ten men-at-arms in their best trappings to ride with him to you is conrad of ponthu giving trouble again and who are these young gentlemen with you guy went down on one knee to kiss his father's hand and then did the same to his mother then he said i will with your permission answer the last question first father my friends are young saxon thanes pages to earl harold and are at present guests of the duke you are bearers doubtless of some message from the king to our duke no my lord beorn said we were bearers of a message from earl harold it is to meet him father that we ride to you to-morrow he has been wrecked on the shores of ponthieu and has been foully imprisoned and even fettered by count conrad beorn and wolf escaped from the prison and brought the news to the duke who this afternoon dispatched fitz osborne and warren at full speed to bid the count at once free his prisoners and to deliver them over to him at you under the pain of his direst displeasure harold in normandy and a prisoner this is strange news indeed we shall surely make him welcome for he is in all respects a great man and save our own duke has a reputation second to none in europe wolf thought as he looked at the speaker that at least he had no second thought in his mind it was a frank honest face martial in its outline but softened by a pleasant smile he had spoken in a general tone of affection to his son and Wolf thought that although no doubt he was ready to take the field at the summons of his lord he preferred a quiet life in this stately home this is news for you wife he went on you will have to furbish up your gayest attire for we shall be having grand doings in honour of this great english earl and our dames will have to look their best in order that he may carry home a fair report of them to the saxon ladies and how did you manage to escape young sirs and when did you arrive with the news Beorn, who as the elder was specially addressed shortly related the story of their escape and journey you have done well the baron said when he had concluded guy you may learn from these young saxons that even pages may be called upon to do work of more importance than handing wine cups and standing behind their lord on state occasions had it not been for their readiness and courage harold might have lain weeks in prison maybe months while the count was striving to wring the utmost ransom from him the lads would doubtless have been slain had they been detected in making their escape or overtaken on the way and the attempt was therefore one that required courage as well as devotion to their lord i doubt not that you would exhibit both qualities did opportunity offer but i question whether you could have walked the distance they did and that on such scanty fare we normans are too apt to trust wholly to our horses legs to the neglect of our own and although i have no doubt that you could ride as far as a horse could carry you i warrant that you could hardly have performed on foot the journey from Beaurain in twice the time which they did it they must have exercised their legs as well as their arms 
and although in a campaign a Norman noble depends upon his war-horse, both on the march and on the day of battle, there may often be times when it is well that a knight should be able to march as far as any of the footmen in the army. Well, Agnes, what have you to say to these Saxon youths? Methinks your eyes are paying far more attention to them than your missile. I can read my missile any hour, father, but this is the first time that I have seen young Saxon nobles. I thought there would have been more difference between them and us. Their hair is fairer and more golden, and their eyes bluer, but their dress differs in no way from our own. She spoke in a matter-of-fact and serious air, as if it were a horse or a dog that she was commenting upon, and both Beorn and Wolf smiled, while Guy laughed outright. "'It is little wonder that their attire is like ours, Agnes,' he said, seeing that they were furnished with it by the Duke's orders. You do not suppose that after being tossed about on the sea, and well-nigh drowned in landing, and being made prisoners, and then travelling through the country and sleeping in the woods, Beorn and Wolf would arrive here with their garments new and spotless, that would indeed have been a miracle. But indeed, Beorn said, our garments differ not greatly from those we now have on, for Norman fashions are prevalent at King Edward's court, and we had no choice but to conform to them. Your language is always spoken there, and methinks that were you to visit Westminster, you would see but little difference between King Edward's court and that of your own duke. And your sisters, do they too dress like us? Queen Edith's ladies dress like her in Norman fashion, but away from the court the attire is different and more simple. Sisters, Wolf and I have none. We are orphans both, and wards of Earl Harold, who holds our estates until we are of age to take the oaths to him, and to lead our men in battle. And will he be barons like my father, or counts, or simple knights? We should be none of these things, Lady Agnes. We have our own great earls in France, as you have your great dukes, but below that we have no titles. We are thanes, that is, landowners, who hold their land direct from our earls. Some have wider lands than others, but as free thanes we are all equal. As to knights, we have not in England the titles and ceremonies which are so much thought of in France and in other courts. That is a pity, the girl said gravely, for the vows of knighthood make a knight courteous and gentle to enemies and friends alike. Or rather, dear Agnes, her mother put in, they should do so, but in truth, looking around at the cruel wars we have had in Normandy, I do not see that men have been more gentle or courteous than they would have been had they never taken the vows, or had knightly spurs buckled on. And in truth, it seems to me, from the news of what has taken place beyond the sea, that in the civil troubles they have had in England, men are much more gentle with each other, and foes are far more easily reconciled than with us in Normandy, who are supposed to be bound by the laws of chivalry. Had our duke been cast upon the shores of England, as Harold has been cast upon that of Porthieu, I think he would not have been so dishonourably treated by one of the English thanes, as Harold has been by Count Conrad. When Godwin and his sons returned from the exile into which they had been driven, and again became all-powerful, there was not, as I have heard from your father, a single drop of bloodshed, nor any vengeance taken upon the men who had brought about their exile. It would have been very different had such things happened here. You speak rightly, wife. The English are of a more gentle disposition than we are, though nowise backward in battle. But now, Guy, it is time that you were returning. 
You have already made a longer stay than usual. I shall see you again tomorrow when we start over for you. Young sirs, I hope that on your return you will often ride over here when your lord does not require you. We shall always be pleased to see you, and although the forest lies some miles away, Guy can show you good hunting, though not so good as that which, as I hear, you can get in England, where the population is not so thick as it is in this part of Normandy. The horses were brought round, and the three lads rode into Rouen just as the night was falling. Long before daybreak there was a stir in the streets of the city, as parties of knights and nobles rode in with bodies of their retainers in obedience to the orders of the duke. All in the palace were awake early. A hasty breakfast was eaten, while just as the sun rose the duke mounted his horse, the head of an array composed of some twenty barons and knights and four hundred men-at-arms rode out of the city. "'There is a good deal more pomp and show here than there was when we rode with Harold from London,' Wolf said. "'In truth, these Norman nobles make a far braver appearance in their armour and robes, and with their banners carried behind them, than we do. Were the king himself to ride in state through London, he would scarcely be so gaily attended.' "'Duke William does not look as if he cared for show,' Beorn said. Nor does he, Guy, who was riding beside them, put in. For himself he is simple in his tastes, but he knows that the people are impressed by pomp, and love to see a brave cavalcade. Therefore he insists on the observance of outward forms, and his court here on state occasions vies, as they tell me, with that of Henry of France. "'Where shall we rest to-night?' Wolf asked. "'Methinks from the appearance of the sky that we shall have rain.' and unless we sleep under shelter, many of these fine robes that we see are like to be as much daubed in mud as were those in which we arrived. We shall sleep in no town, for there is no place on the road between this and you that could receive so large a party. But soon after we rode out yesterday a train of wagons with tents and all else needful started from Rouen, and halfway to you we shall find the camp erected and everything in readiness for our reception. This was indeed the case. The camp had been erected in a sheltered valley, through which ran a stream that supplied the needs of man and horses. The tents were placed in a regular order, that of the duke in the centre, those of his chief nobles in order of rank on either side. Behind was a line for the use of the court officials, pages and knights of less degree, while the soldiers would sleep in the open. As the party rode up, a chamberlain with three or four assistants met them. Each was provided with lists containing the names of all the Duke's following, and these were at once conducted to the tents allotted to them, so that in a few minutes all were housed without the slightest confusion or trouble. The squires of the knights and nobles and the attendants of the officers and pages at once took the horses and picketed them in lines behind the tents rubbing them down and cleaning them with the greatest care, and then supplying them with forage from the piles that had that morning been brought from the neighbouring farms. Fuel in abundance had also been stacked. A number of cooks had come on with a tent equipage, and supper was already prepared for the duke and his party, while animals had been slaughtered and cut up, and the men-at-arms soon had the joints hanging over the bivouac fires. "'This is all wonderfully well managed, Bjorn,' Wolf said. "'I doubt whether it could be done so well and orderly with us at home.' "'What does it matter?' Bourne said contemptuously. 
It makes no difference whether one sups five minutes after arrival or an hour. It matters nothing, Bjorn, but what is but a question of an hour's waiting to a small party is one of going altogether supperless to bed when it's a large one. The Normans have been constantly fighting for the last twenty years, and you see they have learned how important it is that everything should be regular and orderly. If they manage matters with a large force as well as they do with a small one, as is probable that they do, see what an advantage it gives to them. Were two armies to arrive near each other with the intention of fighting in the morning, and one knew exactly what to do and could get their food in comfort and then lie down to rest, while the other was in all confusion, no one knowing where he should go or where to bestow himself, and being unable to obtain food, forced to lie down supperless, the first army would obtain a great advantage when they met the next morning, especially if it had breakfasted well, while the other went into the fight still fasting. Look at ourselves, how weak we were that morning when we had lain down hungry and got up fasting. Well, on the morning when the woman gave us that food, simple as it was, we stepped out boldly and in spirits. That's true enough, Wolf, but you know that among us it is said that Earl Harold is always most careful for the comfort of his soldiers. Yes, the Earl always thinks of those around him, as I have never been in the field, I know not what the arrangements are but I cannot think they would be so well ordered in a great gathering of Englishmen, or that we should manage matters as well as the Normans, with all their experience have learnt to do. Well, Wolf, Beyond laughed, you had best study the matter, and then ask the Earl to appoint you to take charge of the arrangements when he takes to the field. One could hardly have a more useful office, Wolf said earnestly, but it would need a man of experience and of high rank and position, for our Saxon thanes are not accustomed to discipline as are these Norman barons, and only one of great authority could induce them to observe regulations and carry out any plan in due order. Beorn nodded. That's true enough, Wolf, and it is therefore clear that a good many years must pass before you can properly fill the post of chief chamberlain to the army. For myself, I shall be well content to do what fighting is required and to leave all these matters in your hands. Yes, but it can't be left in the hands of one officer, Wolf said warmly, unless all give their aid willingly to carry out his plans. Well, you need not be angry about it, Wolf. There will be time enough for that when you get to be Grand Chamberlain. You know what the Saxon thanes are, how ease-loving and averse to trouble themselves with aught save the chase. I would as soon marshal a flock of sheep in military order and teach each to keep its place as to get the thanes to conform to strict orders and regulations and yet beorn said baron de burg who had just entered the tent unnoticed by them in order to speak to his son who with another page shared it with them unless all will conform to strict orders and regulations an army is but a mere gathering of armed men animated not by one will but by as many wills as it contains men such an army may be valiant. Every man may be a hero, and yet it may be shattered to pieces by another which gives itself up wholly to the direction of one will. That is why we Normans have so badly beaten the French. Every male has his place in battle. He charges when he is ordered to charge, or he is held in reserve the whole day, and the battle ended without his ever striking a blow. We may fret under inaction, we may see what we think chances of falling upon the enemy wasted, but we know that our duke is a great leader, 
and that he has a plan for the battle and will carry it through, and that disobedience to his orders will be an offence as great as that of riding from the field. Hence we have learned to obey, and consequently we have always been victorious against men as brave as ourselves, but each obeying his own feudal lord, and so fighting in detached bodies rather than as a whole. Your young companion is in the right. In a duel between two men strength and skill is everything. In a struggle between two armies obedience to orders is a virtue even higher than bravery and skill at arms. Where is Guy? He is in attendance on the Duke, my lord, Beyond said. We presented ourselves also at his tent, but he told us that he required no duty from us. Let him come to my tent when he returns, the baron said. That is, as soon as he has finished supper. I shall be glad if you will also come, unless the Duke sends for you, which methinks he is not likely to do. He is in thoughtful mood to-day, and will probably be alone. Two or three other knights were assembled in Baron de Burg's tent when the three lads went in. De Burg said a few words to his companions, explaining who they were, and then continued his conversation with the others. Bion and Wolf, as they stood behind the chairs and listened to the talk, could not help being struck with the difference between it and the conversations they had heard at the houses of Saxon thanes. With Harold they had been accustomed to hear matters of state touched on, the church and the struggle going on between the Norman prelates and monks on the one hand, and the English clergy on the other, was one that was frequently talked over, as were also the projects Harold had at heart for encouraging the spread of education and raising the condition of people generally. At the houses of the thanes, however, the evenings were passed in feasting and song, and it was seldom that there was anything like discussion upon general affairs. Indeed, between men heated with wine and accustomed to state their opinions bluntly, anything like friendly argument was well-nigh impossible. De Burg and his companions made no allusion at all to public affairs, but discussed gravely and calmly, and with a courteous respect for each other's opinions, questions connected with the art of war, hunting, the changed conditions brought about by the demolition of castles, the improvements gradually being introduced in armour, and other kindred topics. The other nobles were men of about the same age as de Burg, and although the latter's page from time to time carried round wine, the goblets were rarely emptied. Certain topics were touched upon only to be dropped at once, and Wolf saw that the subjects upon which there was any disagreement among them were carefully avoided. When the boys returned to their tent, Wolf said, Their talk reminds me of the evenings I spent with a prior, his almoner, and two or three other monks, rather than those at the houses of Saxon thanes. Beorn nodded. I am not so much against our customs of feasting and merriment as you are, Wolf and should not care to spend my evenings often in listening to such grave talk. But truly these Norman barons and knights are far more courteous in their speech than our own thanes, and seem to care but little for the wine-cup. I admit that such men must be far wiser advisers for a king than are our Saxons, saving, of course, Harold and his brothers. The Normans are not at all so absentemious as my father and those you saw with him, Guy laughed. Listen, you can hear songs and loud laughter from many of the tents. Aye, and might hear squeals too, do you listen long enough? But those you saw were all men high in confidence of the Duke. 
they have fought together under his banner in many a field and all are powerful barons they are content to hold their own and have nothing to gain at the expense of others their value is well established and i believe that all of them would be well pleased were they never called upon to set lance in rest again methinks this evening they avoided all public questions chiefly because we were present and you see no word was spoken of the unexpected accident that has thrown harold on our shores although it must have been in all their minds and doubtless they talked it over as they rode hither to-day i should not be surprised if my father had us in his tent for the very reason that your being there would prevent more being said about it i do not suppose any of them know exactly what is in the duke's mind possibly he has not even made it up himself and it is assuredly wise here in normandy to express no strong opinion until the duke's own mind is manifest i dare say you are right guy i rather wondered why your father had asked us as well as you to his tent when he had others with him but it is like enough that he thought our presence would prevent any discussion on delicate topics the next morning the cavalcade mounted early and in the afternoon rode to the fortress of you it stood upon the river Bicel, and had previous to the conquest of ponthieu been the frontier guard of normandy on the north it lay only some ten miles from the spot where the saxon galley had been wrecked a messenger had arrived there early in the day from fitz osborne saying that conrad of ponthieu had assented to the demand of the duke for the surrender of his captives and these had been at once released from their confinement and were now honourably entertained they would start on the following morning from beaurain and would be accompanied by conrad who desired to come to eu to pay his respects to the duke although it had been certain that conrad would not venture to refuse the command of his powerful overlord wulf and beorn were greatly delighted to hear that harold and his companions had at once been released from their imprisonment and that they would so speedily arrive at you in the afternoon of the following day a messenger arrived stating that the cavalcade was but an hour's ride away and preparations were at once made to receive it with all honour the garrison of the castle in their bravest attire lined the courtyard hangings brought from rouen were disposed round the walls of the great hall two chairs of state were placed on the dais the men-at-arms who had come from rouen were drawn up on either side of the great entrance and here william with his nobles assembled when the cavalcade approached the castle the procession was headed by the norman men-at-arms of fitz osborne and warren after them rode conrad of ponthieu with harold by his side both carried hawks on their wrists and were apparently on most amiable terms behind them rode harold's brother and nephew and the two norman barons they were followed by the saxon thanes and the officers of the count's household behind these came on foot the saxons of inferior degree who had been left at saint valery and who had by conrad's orders been sent to join the cavalcade where it crossed the somme at abbeville the procession was closed by a strong body of the count's men-at-arms they rode through the double line of spearmen until they reached the entrance then as harold dismounted the duke descended the steps embraced him with the warmest of expressions of satisfaction and thus meeting the most illustrious of englishmen harold replied in suitable terms and the duke then turned to conrad and thanked him warmly for having acceded to his request 
Ponthieu was but newly conquered, and might yet be a thorn in the side of Normandy in the event of a renewal of war with France. It was therefore to William's interest to treat Conrad's obedience to his orders as if it had been a voluntary submission, and to ignore his discourteous treatment of his captives. In order to eradicate all sense of injury on the part of his vassal, he not only paid him the ransom for Harold, but gave him a considerable grant of territory. The Duke now presented his nobles and principal officers to Harold, and then with his arm placed familiarly on his guest's shoulder, led him into the hall, and placed him in the chair of state beside his own, other seats being placed for Wolfnoth and Hakon, and for some of the principal Norman barons, while the rest mingled with the Saxon thanes in the body of the hall. As soon as the reception was over, Wolf hurried out into the courtyard to speak to Osgod. Right glad I am to see you again, Osgod. I have been troubled as to how you were faring. In truth, we have fared badly enough, master. We have been working like beasts of burden, without having food that would suffice for an ass. However, it was not for long, and will do us no harm. Though there are more than one of those fellows in St. Valery with whom I would gladly have ten minutes play with a cudgel or quarter-staff, you may guess how surprised we were yesterday evening when we were suddenly called out from the shed where we were sleeping and with many professions and regret and apology for our treatment conducted to better quarters where a good honest meal was set before us and we were told that the duke himself had just arrived at you and that harold and all his following were there to be given up to him we had fresh rushes for our beds and a hearty breakfast this morning and were then placed in boats and taken up to abbeville we had been there but an hour when the earl arrived with the thanes and glad we were as you may imagine to see his face again they stopped there for an hour to rest their steeds and to dine and then we marched hither as you saw i had missed you and beorn from harold's party and made shift to approach the earl and humbly ask what had become of you no harm has befallen your master and his friend good fellow the earl said they have indeed done me good service for they made their escape from Bolrain and carried the news of our detention to Duke William, and it is thus that we have obtained our liberty. You seem to have fared bravely, Wolf, judging from your attire. Yes, we were in sore plight when we arrived at Rouen, but the Duke saw that we were provided with clothes and with horses for our journey here. At this moment an attendant came out from the hall, and informed Wolf that the Duke desired speech with him. Bjorn was already at the entrance, and they were conducted on to the dais. Here are your two pages, the Duke said to Harold. I hold myself to be greatly their debtor for having carried me the news that has brought about this meeting, and given me the pleasure of having you as my guest. They are faithful lads and quick-witted, for no men could have carried out the mission better or more promptly than they did. Still more am I indebted to them, Harold said, as he held out his hand to the two lads, who bent on one knee while they kissed it. I knew not of their going until I learnt it from your barons that they had reached Rouen with the news. They are wards of mine, and although at one time my pages, they have ceased to be so for more than a year, and have both been down upon their estates learning the duties of their station, which I deem better for them than wasting their time getting into mischief at court. The Duke nodded. The result shows that your course was a wise one. At court youths learn little but good. The atmosphere is not healthy for men, less still for boys, and these youths will shortly be of an age when they will be fit to render men's service, as indeed they have already done. The lads now retired from the dais. 
it has been a fortunate week's work for us beorn said we have obtained the freedom of our lord and gained his approbation and that of the duke william though indeed it matters not greatly as to the duke i don't know beorn one cannot look into the future and there is no saying what may happen anyhow even now it may be of an advantage to us honourably as the duke is treating harold the earl is still wholly in his power and until we hear something of his intentions we are all just as much prisoners as we were to conrad although i admit the captivity is very much a more pleasant one End of chapter six